A survey in 2013 revealed the 19 most popular stars on Twitter. I'm sure the list has changed some in the past three years, but the list in 2013 started with Chris Brown at number 19 and ended with Lady Gaga at number one. In between were such luminaries as Eminem, Brazilian soccer superstar Kaká, President Obama, Oprah, Katy Perry, and Justin Bieber. Now that survey makes me stop and think. Who are the stars in this world from God's perspective? Who are the heavenly celebrities who shine like stars? Jesus said this in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world, speaking to his followers. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. Paul said much the same thing in Philippians chapter 2. You shine like stars in the universe. Now, the word star in Paul's time was also used for a navigational beacon that that would shine in the dark to help safely guide ships into the harbor. So Paul is, is saying Christians are to be like bright stars in a dark world. We are put here in this time, in this place, in our circumstances, in our sphere of influence. We're put here to shine the light of Christ and so guide others safely home to God. So if we want to be people who shine brightly for God, what are the things we need to do? There are five important commitments that we can make if we want to to shine brightly like stars in the universe. The first is I will do my part. Verse 12. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, many people have been confused by this statement because they read it or they hear it and they think it means work for your salvation, earn it, do your part. God is his part and you contribute to it. You help yourself to be saved. That, of course, is impossible because Paul himself wrote very clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that we are saved by by faith in Jesus Christ, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works so that no one can boast. So, in other words, we cannot work our way to salvation. It is a gift from God. So what does this verse mean then, this phrase mean, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? I think the answer is found in the next verse where Paul reminds us that it is God who is working in us. Salvation, in other words, always starts with God. He first works in us to save us, and then we are to work out what God has worked in In the first century, when Paul wrote this letter, the verb work out, which he uses here in Ephesians or excuse me, Philippians chapter two, was also used in the context of mining silver. Workers would enter a mine and they would bring out the silver that was already there. In the same way, Paul says we are to work out the implications of our salvation in every area of our life. We are to work out what God has already done in us and place within us and is doing in us. We're to work out those implications in our lives. Salvation starts when we accept Christ, of course, but it does not end there. True salvation is to affect every, every, every area of our lives. If it doesn't change the way we talk or think or make big decisions, if it doesn't change the way we use our finances or resources, if it doesn't change our worldview, the way we evaluate our career and accomplishments, if it doesn't change our relationships, 
What's the point of being saved at all? So what does it mean to work out our salvation? For one thing, it radically is to change the way that we view God's will. Here's a great question for every believer. Am I willing to do God's will with no strings attached? Many of us can tend to put conditions on our response to God's will, on our obedience to God. We're willing to obey if God will promise to keep us safe and healthy, if he'll guarantee us a good job or a happy family or no problems with our kids or a long life, good retirement. But let me say plainly that the Bible shows us a God who does not make deals with his children. The call of Christ is always the same. Come, follow me. We're called to follow Christ and to leave all the other details in his capable hands. The second commitment we're called to is, I will depend upon God. Verse 13. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. We do our part because God always does his part first. Salvation is God's work from the start to the finish. It's perfectly fine to say, I found the Lord. So long as we remember that the Lord found us first. This verse also tells us that God gives both the will and the ability to do his commands. First, he changes our want to, and then he provides the power to obey him. God will give us all that we need in every situation so that we can do his will. Another way of putting it is God is not going to call us to do something without giving us the power and the capability of doing it. And I find that very, very encouraging because it's so tending, such a tendency sometimes to, to look at what I lack or what I, what I don't have, whether it's talent or, or resources or time or energy or whatever. But, but God's word tells us that he will not call us to do something. He will not call us to be something or someone without giving us the ability to do it. What God demands from us, he will supply this, this truth comes to the heart of the gospel itself. When, when God saw our problem with sin, he demanded full payment for sin. He supplies his very own son whose death fully pays the debt we owe. But that truth doesn't apply only to our present or to our past experience of forgiveness. It describes how God deals with his children day by day, what, he, what we need to do his will, what we need to be the people that he's called us to be, what we need to shine like stars for him in the world, God will supply. The third commitment to shine like stars is, I will not complain. This does not come easily to most of us. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. In the Greek word, um, the word arguing might be better translated as, as, as murmuring. It's a word whose sound conveys the meaning, like the English words, uh, hiss or hum. It has the idea of muttering, complaining under your breath. Do we understand that that complaining is an attack upon God's sovereignty? Every time we complain about our circumstances, we're really saying, if I were God, I would do things differently. But we forget the first rule of the spiritual life. He's God and we're not. Ray Pritchard tells a story about a man who saw great success in preaching the gospel in southern Nigeria. Thousands of tribal people came to faith in Christ. 
Later, he was transferred to the largely um, Muslim region of northern Nigeria, where after many years of hard labor, he saw only a handful of converts. Same man, same gospel message, different results. He said, I was told early in my ministry to focus on Christ, not on my circumstances. It's all a matter of focus, isn't it? What we look at in life determines what we see. If we focus on our problems that we don't have, what we wish we had that we don't have yet, if we focus on our problems, they will fill our minds until we see nothing else. But when we focus on the Lord and on his goodness, we see our problems in the, in the light of eternity. When we focus on the Lord, we see that he is able to do what he's called, do in us what he's said that he will do. When we focus on the Lord, we're able to shine like stars in the darkness. The fourth commitment is I will be different to make a difference. Verses 15 and 16. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly the message of life. Now, Paul uses three key words to describe how we are to live. He says we are to be blameless, which has the idea of being above reproach. In other words, no serious accusation can stand against us. He says we're to live lives that are pure. This idea of a high quality, unmixed alloy. What you see is what you get. He says we are to be live faultless lives, not perfect, but people who are, are offered and surrender themselves to God, a living sacrifice for God's service and purposes. You see, we'll make an impact on the world by lives that are visibly and observably and measurably and noticeably and obviously different from the people around us. We are to be different to make a difference. Our values, our priorities are to set us apart from the surrounding culture. Why is it so important that we be straight arrows in our lifestyle? Because, Paul says, we live in a crooked and perverted world. The word crooked comes from the Greek word scolios, from which we get the English word scoliosis, a curvature of the spine. The word perverted is much stronger and in essence means crooked by choice. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are to live differently, intentionally, by choice. We're to live in such a way that that our lives shine brightly and point others to the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. And when people notice a difference, they'll ask us the reason for why we live the way we do. And Paul says, then we can share with them the words of life. The fifth commitment is I will live for others. Verses 16 through 18. <coughs> then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run in vain or labor for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you also should rejoice and share your joy with me. So here's the final commitment we are to make. We are to live for others first and foremost and not for ourselves. It ties in very nicely with what just comes before this at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2 when Paul says we are the same attitude as Jesus Christ. Paul explains this in two key phrases. First, he says he looks forward to boasting 
about the Philippians when Christ returns. In other words, Paul envisions the day when, when Christ returns and he'll stand before the Lord and give an account for his ministry. And he'll be able to point to the Philippians and say, look how their lives were changed. Look how they lived for you. What will we boast about when we stand before the Lord on that day? On the day when we stand before the Lord, the only thing that will matter is the impact that we have on others for the cause of Jesus Christ. Everything else, absolutely everything else will fade away. Second, Paul mentions being poured out as a drink offering on their behalf in verse 17. And what that means is it's referring to the Old Testament practice of pouring wine on top of an animal sacrifice so that when the flames would hit the, the wine, it would vaporize the wine and there would be a beautiful aroma. Paul's saying, even if I end up losing my life for you, it will not matter to me as long as you live for Christ. As long as you follow Christ, I'm willing to die for you. And with that statement, we come to the bottom line of Christian service. I mean, how many of us can truly say that we're willing, doesn't make any difference whether we live or die, so long as the people that we know follow Jesus Christ? My mind runs to Hebrews 11, verses 35 through 38, and it's a list of believers who suffered for their faith, where it says, Others were tortured and refused to be released. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were sawed in two. They were put in death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And in this phrase, the world was not worthy of them. Does that seem like too much of a cost, too much of a price to pay? Remember what God did for you and me when he sent his son into this world. Think of what it cost him to provide salvation for a human race that had turned against him, that rebelled against him. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Paul said, you shine like stars in the universe, in a dark world that desperately needs light. The world has its stars, but God has his. May God help us to shine like stars so that others, as they look at our lives, we see the light of Christ in us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for your example and your life. Lord, we thank you for Paul's words recorded here and for the challenge they place in front of us. Lord, we pray that we would be people who would be willing to serve you and obey you no matter the cost. Lord, thank you for the grace that you provide us that is free. Help us to remember that, though, that it's never cheap. Thank you for the example of those who have gone before us and those who are among us who shine brightly for you, who pour out their lives for the sake of others. Lord, help us to do the same for your sake and for the sake of others. We ask this through Jesus' name. Amen.